Well, welcome this morning. Um, I don't know if you realize this or not, but every week of my life is defined by a text of Scripture. Um, it just it just permeates all that I do for a given week. And, and this past week, it's been um, Philippians chapter two, verses twenty-five through thirty. Um, Next week, I'll be living with Philippians 3, 1 through 3. I mean, as soon as I sit down from preaching this morning, I'm going to be thinking, hmm, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Let's write the same things again. It is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And I will start. This afternoon, just meditating upon that passage, thinking about that, that passage. And the next week, I'll, I'll be on the next passage, four through nine maybe. I'm not sure exactly how far, how far I go, but I, I think about it a lot. I think about it all, all week long. Monday is a, is a time I listen to a bunch of sermons by, by other pastors preaching on the text. And then throughout the week, I read whatever I can. And, and when I go to bed at night, I, I, I constantly find myself just thinking through my passage. So that's why I like to memorize what I'm preaching on so that as I go to bed at night, I can just, I can just meditate and just think and, um, and go through my text. And I find often that the... I'm not sure if my microphone's okay. I find often that um, the Lord meets me in a special way. And this week, I'm talking about Epaphroditus. He was a, a man who was sick and almost died. But the Lord showed mercy on him, allowed him to live, and then he went on to take Paul's letter of the Philippians to Philippi. Now this week I've been sick. It's, kinda, it's been a long time since really I've been sick, but I, I was sick this week, mostly towards the end of the week. I wasn't sick unto death, so don't worry about that, but I uh, wasn't feeling so well. Friday was a rough day. Yesterday was a particularly just hard day. It just felt... Felt bad. Last couple of nights have been pretty rough. My my eyes have been hurting. My nose is stuffed. My head feels like it wants to explode. Now, thankfully, I did take my Tylenol about two hours ago, and so I'm feeling really good now, and I'm feeling just fine. But I imagine that this afternoon I'm going to take a nap. So we're going to cancel our small group today, just for you who are involved in that, just so you know, we're going to cancel that because I'm probably going to be sleeping. Um, and, and I do trust the Lord's giving me enough adrenaline right now. It's really not going to be a problem. I feel good right now. Uh, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of our my message this morning. Um, and I trust the Lord will strengthen me through that. But it is interesting how the Lord has met me this week, just reminding me again of my own my own weakness. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're looking this morning at verse 25 through verse 30. And as you're turning there, I do want to remind you of the difference, again, between studying ancient history and studying modern history. When you study modern history, the the sources abound. In fact, you don't even have any chance in the world to know any subject exhaustively. In fact, if history is recent enough, you could speak with some people, some eyewitnesses, and learn more and more and more about whatever you're studying and if it's not too far past, you can read many, many original documents. You can read newspapers. You can read scores of things about whatever you're researching. But when studying ancient history, it's a lot different. 
depending on the subject, you may be able to read everything there is to know about one particular topic in less than a minute. And that actually is, is our case this morning as we read about Epaphroditus. He is mentioned in all of ancient literature only twice. Twice in the book of Philippians. He's mentioned once here in our text. He's mentioned briefly at chapter 4, verse 18. And, and, and the struggle with modern history is to try, to try to take all this data and try to synthesize it. But our challenge of ancient history is to expand on the data we have. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the little data we have about Epaphroditus and seek to expand it to understand fully what's, what's going on. And as, uh, this is in our Bible... I trust it will be helpful for all of us. Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2, 25 through 30. Paul writes, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you and was just, he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's go over to chapter 4, verse 18. Let's read about Epaphroditus again. It says, Paul's writing, I've received everything in full and am, have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's all there is to know about Epaphroditus. It's all the ancient literature has. It's all the Bible has. And so let's put together the little pieces of this story. We see in chapter 4, verse 18, Epaphroditus came from Philippi bringing a financial gift to be used for meeting the physical needs of Paul in prison. He says, I've received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. It is a, as a gift to him that they were stirred up to give to him and Epaphroditus brought it to them. Now, turn over to chapter 2. Again, now we'll stay in chapter 2 the rest of the time. We see that Epaphroditus came to Paul in Rome, where he's under house arrest. He gave him this gift and he stayed with him some time. But now Paul was ready to send him back to Philippi. As we shall see later, maybe it was premature. Maybe it was sooner than he expected. But Paul says, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. And this thought governs the entire paragraph from verses 25 through 30 because Paul is explaining about how he's sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. The title of my message last week was Sending Timothy. My title of my message this week is, help me out now, it's Sending Epaphroditus. Right? It almost seems here in verse 25, also it's Paul's decision. He says, I am the one I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. It wasn't that Epaphroditus had announced his plan to go back to Philippi. It seemed like he was willing to stay, willing to go, and Paul said, no, as I evaluate the situation, as we'll see unfolding, I think it's best, Epaphroditus, if you just go back to Philippi right now. And most scholars believe he took this letter of Philippians back to Philippi. Now, before he explained why he was sending 
Epaphroditus back. That begins in verse 26 and following. He, he first speaks about Epaphroditus' character. It's my first point here this morning. I'm calling it verse 25, the man. The man. Verse 25, Paul uses five terms to describe this man. He was an honorable man. He was a brother. He was a fellow worker. He was a fellow soldier. He was also your messenger. He was minister to my needs. And in the spirit of exposition, we're just going to work through each of these. And I would say there's lots of application here as you think about this is the kind of man Epaphroditus was. How does my life match up? Because he very much was a a man of God. Let's begin then with the first one. My brother. He says, that is, he's my fellow believer. In Bible times, of course, and today, uh, many times as well, people address other believers with family terms. comes out clearly here in Philippians. Eight times this letter, Paul uses this term brethren to describe brothers. In fact, that's why the ESV translates it brothers. Like, look down at chapter 3, verse 1. Right? Finally, my brethren, or the ESV, finally, my brothers. Or at the beginning of chapter 4, look there. Finally, my beloved brethren. My loved brothers is what he's saying. Chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren. Finally, brothers. Paul considered those in Philippi to be his brothers, his spiritual brothers. Now, of course, this applies to sisters as well. It's not just that he's writing to the men. He's not. He is writing to the sisters. It does just say brothers. That is the, the masculine inclusive, including all men, all women. The NIV, though, felt like you have to add the sisters there. So the NIV translates this often. Brothers and sisters, adding some words, but getting the point clearly across. But, but there it is. We are a church family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is all who believe it. And really, Jesus gave credence to this. Remember when he was in that room? in that house and things were so full and his, his mother and his brothers were trying to get in to see him and they couldn't and so the word got back and someone from the shout back shouted forth, Hey, your mother and brother are here. And Jesus then, looking around, said, Who are my mother and brothers? And then he said, Behold, my mother and brothers, all who do the will of God, he is my mother and brother and sister and that's the reason why Paul calls Epaphroditus my brother. Not brothers by birth, but brothers in the Lord. It is significant here. He's not called my son. He called Timothy my son because it was through Paul that Timothy was converted. That's why even it says back in, uh, um, I think it's verse 20, uh, 22, about how he served with me like a child, serving his father. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father, but Paul was, was Epaphroditus' spiritual brother because someone else brought the message of salvation to Epaphroditus. But they both had placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross on His behalf. And thus said this bond to one another. Obvious application, are you a brother? Are you a sister? Do you truly love the Lord? If Paul would have sent you back to Philippi, would he say, I'm sending my brother. I'm sending my sister in the Lord Trust and believe in Christ. That's what it means there. He's my brother. It means he's a believer. He's a believer in Jesus. And I see it. He's also identified, second term, as a fellow worker. One who's working together in the cause of the gospel. Now, this puts Epaphroditus in a, a pretty good category of the Bible who are called fellow workers by Paul. Listen to the people who were called fellow workers. Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers. Romans 16.3. Timothy, 
Romans 16.21 is a fellow worker. Apollos, the great preacher. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. Titus is my fellow worker. 2 Corinthians 8.23. Philemon is my fellow worker. Philemon 1. Mark and Luke, both mentioned in Philemon verse 24. Puts, puts Epaphroditus in a pretty, pretty high category. He's in good company. But after all, he was one of the Philippians. And the Philippians were those who were laboring for the Gospel. In chapter 1, we saw that. How the entire church had been laboring for the progress of the Gospel. And Paul was thankful to God when he said chapter 1, verse 5. You can look back there. He says, right, I'm, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, giving, thanking my God in view of your participation in the Gospel from the first day until now. They had joined with Paul. They were fellow workers with him. All of those at Philippi. And one way was to send this financial gift to Paul through Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was the one that they selected to bring the gift. It must mean that he was a faithful man. He was one who wasn't going to embezzle the funds. He was going to see to it that that money got right there to, um, to Paul. And, and, and thereby, in this travel, demonstrated he was willing to work for the gospel and the progress of it. Now, the trip from Philippi to Rome would certainly have been by sea, as both cities near the coast. And, you know, I got a, I got a map up here. Chuck, if we can show that map. Um, yeah, maybe hit a button. We should have some more on there. Mm, we don't, maybe? Okay. Uh, that's okay. We can go back here. Uh, we can see Philippi up there in the Aegean Sea. All right. And uh, would have certainly sailed down. If we can get up there, if we get that map coming back again. From the Aegean Sea, Philippi up there, he then would sail down the Aegean Sea, come across here, go between Cilicia and Italy, and go up to Rome. The best I can figure is a couple weeks travel. Probably what it took. The winds were good. It could be quicker. If the winds were bad, it wouldn't be so well. That's why Paul, let's look at the fourth characteristic. I'm skipping the third. Look at the fourth. That's why he called him his messenger. Because he went from Philippi to Rome by a boat, with all his cash on hand. And I'm sure that he didn't just come and um, just deliver that. He wasn't just a, a mailman with a, a courier. Here you go. Here's money. He wasn't a banker. No, he, he also told Paul about how things are going in Philippi. How else could Paul know about the church? How else doing in Philippi? But Epaphroditus tell him. How else could Paul know about the trials of, un, of unity? Like in chapter 4, verse 2, about these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who's not living in, who weren't living in harmony in the Lord. How could Paul know that but that Epaphroditus reported about the, the church? How else could Paul know of their concern they had for Paul's imprisonment but that Epaphroditus told them? How else would they know about how they had a heart for Paul and wanted to give to him but were prevented, but now they had an opportunity unless Epaphroditus told them? He was a, a messenger. He was a, a traveler. But also, let's look at the fifth characteristic. We'll come back to the third. But he also was a minister to my need, is what Epaphroditus says, what Paul says. Right there in verse 25. He was a, a minister to my need. Epaphroditus was a servant to Paul. Remember last week when I talked about being in prison in those days? You needed someone who was free, who could go to the outside and, and make a clothes run or a, a food run or a, a message sent. And Epaphroditus, I'm sure, Paul, you need some food? He would have gone out and got some food. You need some extra clothes? I'll get out and get some clothes. You need something else? You need a message sent? You want to talk to somebody? I'll go out and summon them and, and bring them back, perhaps. He was willing to bring this message from Philippi to Rome, and he was even willing to bring this message back from Rome clear out to Philippi. And last week, I, I argued that Timothy was one of these. Helpers of Paul, 
And Epaphroditus also was a helper here as he's a minister to his need. Whatever his needs were, there he was serving. And he would have been up for any length of any travel, of any message, of any duty to help and serve the Apostle Paul. Now, it's interesting here, the word that Paul uses here to describe a minister to my need is a word most often associated with priestly service. Um, And using this word, Paul had in mind that, that... but Epaphroditus is more than just giving me manual labor. It's, he's, he's more than just being a gopher. No, Epaphroditus is serving me in a way that's meeting my spiritual needs as well, is what he's saying. He, he's a godly man who went about his business in a godly way. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, I think it looks like not complaining. Chapter 2, verse 14. It, it looks like not grumbling in his duty. It's not like he receives this command from Paul, his wish or request, and all right, I'll do it. No, he, he joyfully took that task and went about and doing it. No task was too low for him. Chapter 2, verse 3, because he was always looking at others more important than himself. He always kept Paul in mind. Chapter 2, verse 4, not merely looking out for his own personal interests. He, he served with joy, rejoicing in the gospel. That's what all of Philippians was about. I think he modeled that. He was thankful and prayerful and probably encouraging to Paul as he awaited trial. And when you think about Paul, he's going to say later that he's He's got sorrow, and some of that sorrow is awaiting trial. And, and Epaphroditus was ministering to him and helping him in the midst of those times. And so, uh, again, now application. Is this your manner of service in the body of Christ? Do you do so willingly with joy and thanksgiving, speaking much of what God is doing? I mean, Epaphroditus must have been filled with messages and reports about back from Philippi, just talking about what God has been doing there in Philippi. Do you see God working? And do you communicate that? Do you serve others? Are you a minister to their needs? Are you dependent upon the Lord in all that you do? I think that's Epaphroditus. He, he was a man of character. And now let's come to the third characteristic. I, I come here and I, that's, how, that's how I thought it worked best. Okay, so we're also looking now, he's my fellow soldier. Uh, I think this term has a, has a reference to hard work. As, as reference to, to durability and strength, right? Jeff over here is a soldier, right? Soldiers are, are tough guys, trained to travel. Epaphroditus, right? Travel several months, a load of cash. It's not for the faint of heart. It's especially in those days when thieves and robbers were all around. He's a soldier. He's a, he's a strong man. Soil, soldiers are loyal guys. When the commander gives an order, the soldier will go out and do it. Their loyalty is to their country and to the king they serve. Their loyalty is to Jesus. Soldiers are troopers, right? When it's muddy and cold outside, they keep walking. When they've been on watch for 15 hours and they're tired, they keep watching until someone else comes and um, takes their post for them. But otherwise, they stand at the post as long as they can until told otherwise. And I think, I think being called this fellow soldier, I think being responsible for for money really shows us right here the difference between Paul and Timothy. Now, this is this is conjecture on my part, okay? I think that Epaphroditus is a big guy. Okay? A strong guy. A guy you don't want to mess with. A guy who can be trusted with a, a lot of cash on hand. I think he's a faithful guy. A guy who's just going to sacrifice whatever he can for you. I think he's a soft guy. I think he's a he's a tender, lovable, loving guy, tender towards Paul. And um, someone you'd really like, Epaphroditus. Because you think about Philippi, they had to say, okay, who's going to be the best guy to send this money with? 
Well, let's, let's send it with Epaphroditus because I know he's not going to steal it. He's going to be faithful. He's big enough. No one's going to bat him. Maybe he's going to have other people. But he's just going to get it there. I know that he's going to finish that job. But I also picture Epaphroditus here a little bit about not having the pastoral gifts that Timothy had. I mean, he's not going to return to those in Philippi and open the Scriptures and teach and shepherd the congregation. I, I just don't think that's, that's his gift. And that's not a slam on Epaphroditus, but that's the very thing that helps me understand verse 20 and 21 we looked at last week. Look there again. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. I've always felt sorry for Epaphroditus. Right? There's nobody else of kindred spirit. And Epaphroditus is like, what are you talking about? What about me? Right? Remember, I'm your, your brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister to your need. Am I, am I not of a kindred spirit with you, Paul? For they all seek after their own interests, verse 21, and not those of Christ Jesus. I'm sure Epaphroditus is like, Paul, woo, you're missing somebody. What, 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 about, what about me? And, and I, the way that I see this is that verses 20 and 21, how can those verses be there? And yet he commends Epaphroditus also. And I think that verses 20 and 21 are really talking about a different kind of guy. I think they're talking about the guy who's going to be able to have the heart of Paul to be able to go and transfer and teach and lead and guide the people. And really, that's outside the scope of Epaphras' gifts. Right? Anybody who's capable of teaching and leading and guiding in that way you know what, they're all into their own thing. But Timothy, he's, he's into it, not, not for himself. And so that's not to put Epaphroditus as a second-class citizen. His gifts are just different. But I believe his heart is the same as Paul's and Timothy's. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And that is what Epaphroditus was. He was looking out for the interests of others. He looked out for the interests of the Philippians who said, you go take this message. Looking out for the interests of Paul while he was there, ministering to him and helping him. And that's how Paul could say, 20 and 21, that there's no one else of kindred spirit. Because I, I, I want to send someone who's a pastor to you. And that's, that's not Epaphroditus. So I think it has to do with gifts. I don't think anyone else has the ability to go and pass to you. But I do have Epaphroditus, and he is a, he is a blessing to you. Well, so I, I thought about... Here, here's, I mean, this is a postulation, okay? But I thought about... I consider myself kind of a Timothy kind of guy. And I thought about, you know, who, who might Epaphroditus be here in this congregation? And you know what? Steve Hazel, why don't you stand up, okay? Steve Hazel is Epaphroditus, okay? He's a little bit bigger. I'm not going to take him on a match, okay? I'm not going to take any money from him, right? But he's a lovable guy. He's a faithful guy. He's an encouraging guy, a man of character. I trust, I trust you with money to go and take it someplace. And I, I know you get it there. But, don't get me Steve's not going to go and pastor the church in Philippi, right? I don't, I don't imagine... Steve going and doing that. That's not a slam, okay? That's just, your gifts are different than my gifts. But Steve's got some other things, gifts, than I have. So you can be seated. Thanks. Uh, that's to honor you, Steve. That's not to lift you up. But he's just different than I am. And those of you know who Steve is, you know all those characteristics. That's Epaphroditus. Maybe we start calling him that. But that's, you know what, that's ancient history where we're trying to just pull and put some things together. But I think that's kind of what's, what's going on because 
Epaphroditus, Steve Ozell, has a heart for other people. I've seen him serve others in great ways. And I think, by the way, this pastor ought to come to a great encouragement to all of us because whatever your gifts are, or whatever you can do, or whatever you can't do, whatever God has given you, you're just called to be faithful. And a guy like Epaphroditus, just whatever God, he just, he just used it to serve the Lord. Not everyone has to be a Timothy. In attitude and heart, yes. In gifts, no. Not everyone has to be Epaphroditus. In attitude and heart, yes. In gifts, no. So go and serve. Serve the Lord. Serve others. Be the man or woman or boy or girl that God has called you to be. Well, that's Epaphroditus. That's the man. Let's go to my second point now. His sickness, 26 and 27. We see this here, right? Because, and, and here we see, you know, and this is why I picked Steve Hozell. Just This is the kind of guy he is. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not upon him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. These verses explain <clears throat> Epaphroditus' sickness. They also explain why Paul was going to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And you know what? They so well illustrate Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others, because that's what Epaphroditus was doing. That's what Paul was doing. Catch the logic here. Verse 25, Paul says, I thought it best to send you Epaphroditus. 26 says why he says Epaphroditus is homesick well not homesick like a, a boy at camp who might be homesick to be under mom's cooking and in his own bed no but 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 homesick more because those in Philippi weren't doing so well because they'd heard that he was sick even to the point of death and Epaphroditus knew that they heard about this and he was concerned for them because he was feeling fine and wanted to make sure that they knew that he was feeling fine and what, what better way than to, to show up. And, and just this, did you see his heart? He was sick, but he wasn't concerned about his sickness. He was concerned about them because they felt bad for him or they maybe thought he died. And he, he reminds me so much of my sister, Sonia. My sister, Sonia, right? Aunt Sonia, is that what you're, you're laughing? That's our... She just has this ability when someone else is hurting, her stomach's just, you know. If someone else is distressed, she's distressed. And she really is. And so she like bears everyone's burdens kind of when people have it hard. She's like really concerned about them. Not because of her own calamity, but because of the trials that other people are facing. And that's the case with Epaphroditus. Verse 25 listed five characteristics about the man. Verse 26 could have been a sixth characteristic. Epaphroditus has a tender heart, is what Epaphroditus has. It says here that he was distressed. He was distressed because you'd heard that he was sick. This word distressed is used only three times in the New Testament. Once here, once in uh, Matthew 26, verse 37, and Mark 14, verse 33. Matthew 26, Mark 14, it's right towards the end of those Gospels, three chapters from the end. That's the context of the prayer in Gethsemane. When Jesus said to His disciples, Peter, James, and John particularly, 
I'm grieved and distressed. Grieved and distressed. And then he goes on to explain to them how my soul is, is deeply grieved to the point of death. Keep here and watch with me. And of course, then you remember he went off and stones throw a distance away and he prayed, my father, if it possible, remove this cup from me. He was so distressed, he was sweating drops of, of blood. Now, uh, it's a picture of the distress of Epaphroditus. I don't think the scale is, was as much. I mean, I think Jesus was way more concerned and distressed than Epaphroditus was. But if Epaphroditus is anything close, it just shows that of the angst that he had in his heart, his distress, that he was burdened. And in some ways, I think that he was too burdened for the Philippians to be of real help to Paul. Paul saw that and said, that's why he said in verse 25, I thought it necessary. You just need to go. And Paul wanted to set this rumor straight. Verse 27, right? Indeed, he was sick. Philippians, you really need to know that he was sick to the point of death. Now, we don't know what his sickness was. It may have been a natural sickness, something like I've had, but worse. The flu, dysentery, malaria, bronchitis, pneumonia, I mean, head cold, you name it. It may have come about through persecution. I say that because of verse 30. He came close to death for the work of Christ. So somehow in his work for Christ, he came close to death. So that may have been he was beaten and persecuted and may broke some bones and was life-threatening for a while. Um, or it may have been just he risked his life and was traveling and caught some traveling diseases. We, 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 don't, we don't know for sure. And, there, and there's no way to find out because this is all we know about Epaphroditus. But we do know that his sickness was great. He was on his deathbed. And, and surely it was when he was on his deathbed that a messenger left and sailed right, from Rome, clear back down to Philippi or wherever he was. Or maybe he was on the ship and he saw him when he was so sick and reported back to Philippi how he was doing. And for all they knew, he died. Because he was so close to death. But it says in verse 26 that God had mercy. Verse 27, God had mercy on him. We don't know what that means, but we do know that it means that God healed him. Right? Indeed, whenever we recover from sickness, it's always the mercy of God that heals us. So I've been sick with a cold. It's only the Lord who's going to heal my sickness. It's only the Lord who's going to heal any of your sicknesses. Trials or pains. And I just, I, just, I just need to note here, just, just to help you all, that note here that sickness isn't always due to sin. Epaphroditus fully in the will of the Lord, right? Verse, 20, verse 30. He, he came close to death for the work of Christ. He was working for Christ. And that's when he became close to death. Found himself sick. But sadly, there are those who teach that your sickness comes from your sin. If you've heard that teaching, I just say run as far away from that as you can. Because not only is it not biblical, it's discouraging and damaging to people. Who, who when they're sick, then they're, they're just searching themselves for their sin to try to figure out what it is that, that caused this sickness. And you know, then they're depressed rather than realizing that no, there may be times when you're in the will of the Lord and your sickness has come. Job, for some greater reason than you know. The man born blind, John 9, maybe for some greater reason. Lazarus even died. Jesus, when he heard he was sick, he stayed a couple of days to let him die. And then he'd go and raise him from the dead. So it may be your sickness is fully in the will of God. And God's going to do something there. It may be your sickness is due to sin. There's plenty of examples of that in the Bible when the people in the wilderness were smitten with snakes. Or when uh, 
People looked in the ark at Beth Shemesh and many died. Or David's vitality when he didn't confess his sin was drained away. Even in the New Testament, the abuses of the Lord's Supper, many became sick and even died. So the Bible speaks about direct connect between sin and sickness, but not always. So don't take this half-truth over here and, and let that be the whole truth of what the Bible says, because it's not. So when you're sick, it may be sin, but it may be God has a, a different purpose in mind. Maybe it's, it's, every time I'm sick, I just always think, God, you've shown me again your weakness, my weakness, and I'm, I'm but a man, I'm but dust. Anyway, we're getting back. Just, just know that Epaphroditus is fully in the will of God and sick. And God was merciful and, and healed him. <laughs> and I love how Paul says this, verse 27, God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Again, you see Paul's expression of his heart for these Philippian people. I mean, losing a man of integrity like Epaphroditus would have brought him great sorrow. I mean, he's already facing sorrow in prison, uh, awaiting trial, and who knows what's going to take place. He's been unjustly accused at the mercy of the courts. Some corrupt judge has a bad day, and he loses his life. It's all, I think there was some sorrow there from what Paul had. I think he's also facing sorrow because of the hardness of the Jews against their Messiah. Paul is in prison. His imprisonment is described at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28. You can read it there. He's in under house arrest, and at one point he invited all the Jews to come. Hey, why don't you come? And, and there was a day on the appointed day where large numbers of Jews came, and, and he spoke to them from morning till night all about the kingdom of God as he attempted to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And they left hardened and unbelieving. Paul then quoted Isaiah chapter 6 to them. Was kind of in a rebuke, and they, they left away. But Paul would later say, when writing to the Romans, listen to what he says. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ, Romans 9, 1 through 3. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me, Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow. There it is. I have sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of the brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I have sorrow for the Jews in Rome who aren't believing. But he also, if he had lost Epaphroditus, he would have further sorrow. He would be overwhelmed with sorrow. That's why he's talking about sorrow upon sorrow. Being in prison wasn't, a, wasn't just a joyful time for him. It was a difficult time. And he said, I'm, I'm facing sorrows now. I'd had even greater sorrows if Epaphroditus did. Just... It's expressing his great love towards Epaphroditus. Do you, do you have that sort of love towards other people of the church? Someone would pass away. You just have sorrow upon sorrow for them. Because you, certainly we need to grieve. Not like the Gentiles who have no hope. We, we have hope and all. But, but just, they're part of you, is what Paul is saying. And if Epaphroditus would have passed away, that's too much. Well, there's the man, the sickness. Third point now, his reception. Verses 28 through 30. Verse 28, Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Now, in many ways, for Paul, it would have been much better for him to keep Epaphroditus there. Epaphroditus was another hand to help him. He was a faithful man to help, just like Timothy was helping in his imprisonment. And yet, like Epaphroditus, Paul wasn't thinking about himself. Rather, he was thinking about those in Philippi. He's thinking it would be better for you all if I sent Epaphroditus to you. 
Um, he says that he's concerned. Verse 28. He says that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned. Maybe he's concerned about them. The New American Standard adds italics about you. I'm, I'm concerned about you because you're thinking he's dead. Or maybe just concerned about Epaphroditus. Or maybe just concerned. But, but he's concerned for someone else's welfare. And, I, and again, one last time. I just mentioned Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In fact, there are many people who see verses 3 and 4 as kind of like a, a, um, a canopy over this whole text. Where Philippians 2, 3 and 4 talk about being others interested. And of course, Jesus did that. Verses 5 through 11. And then we see the example of Paul doing that. Verse 17, being willing to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your service, your faith. We see Timothy genuinely being concerned for their welfare. We see Epaphroditus here longing for those because they had heard of his sickness. And this whole chapter is all just a illustration after illustration after illustration after illustration of what it means to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But, but in humility of mind regarding one another is more important than yourself. And Paul is... Showing himself to be that way. He showed Jesus to be that way. Showing Timothy to be that way. Showing Epaphroditus to be that way. And that's why I think just working through these verses, just seeing the, the selfless sacrifice of Epaphroditus can do much to minister to our souls. Well, here in verse 28, Paul envisions a day when Epaphroditus shows up in, in Philippi. And what a day of rejoicing that would be. Because from all intents and purposes, to, to the Philippians, Epaphroditus was dead. And for him to come in their midst was like him being raised from the dead. And I think when he comes into their midst, they would rejoice. And in case they didn't rejoice, verse 29, Paul commands them to rejoice. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy. Now, can you imagine the reaction when this letter was first read in, um, in Philippi? I mean, it certainly would have been obvious that, hey, Epaphroditus is back and... Uh, Look, and yeah, we're happy he's back. And Paul is saying, hey, receive him then in the Lord with all joy. And maybe at that point, spontaneous applause went up, standing ovation. Woohoo! Yes, Epaphroditus is back with us. That may have been the case. Certainly there was joy. Um, but there may have been something else going on. Some commentators even say that Epaphroditus was sent not only to give the gift, but to stay and serve with Paul maybe. And maybe the fact that he came back so soon may have caused them a little bit of tension. That's why Paul is really laying all out. He was sick, but he was so concerned for you all. Taking the responsibility, verse 25, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. It's all on me. It's my responsibility as you are receiving. So, so receive him back and even more honoring to him and hold men like him in, in high regard. Of course, he has done a, a great thing. He's traveled to Rome. He's given the gift. He's, he's had a heart for Paul. He has a love for those in Philippi. And yet Paul is saying that, you know what, he's back because I compelled him to go back. And you need to honor him. He didn't, he didn't renege on any of his commitments. He wasn't faithless in anything that you gave him to do. He is to be held in high honor. Now, also, I, I just say that this is, this is some passages in the Scripture that speak about how we need to honor others. We need to lift others up. We need to encourage others. Um, sinners though they be. Like think about this. Um, Proverbs 31. The woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. 
Right? The, the one who fears the Lord, we should speak good things about that woman. Right? And so likewise here, when we see um, the evidence of God's grace in people's life, we should lift them up and encourage them. And so likewise here, Epaphroditus was to be held in high honor among all. You say, why? Well, verse 30 speaks about that. Because he came close to death for the sake of Christ, for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Epaphroditus was a true servant of the Lord. Ready to totally risk his life in the work of Christ. Willing to to lay it all on the line to serve the Apostle Paul in his imprisonment. You know, with our kids club on Tuesday and Thursday with the the kids in the neighborhood, we just started a a, a video. Um, I don't even know where this video came from. It was given to us at Desiring God, but it's Voice of the Martyrs. And so it basically is telling the story of Jesus because I want them to have this whole story of Jesus. But it starts off with old Apostle John being brought into prison and being led up the stairs into the prison. And you got these young prisoners, you know, these, these um, soldiers kind of mocking him and kind of throwing him down and beating him and says, why, why are you in prison? Right. This old man. Why are you in prison? Because he can't stop talking about the things that Christ has done. And, and they're like, why? Why do you keep talking? And he says, well, because Christ is a, is a great king and it's true and I've seen it and I can't shut up. And he risked his life for the work of Christ. Ended up writing the Gospel of John. Ended up writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Ended up writing Revelation. But thrown on the island of Patmos. Think Alcatraz. In this place that's hard and difficult and toilsome. And yet, what did he do? He saw that that the life that Jesus saved him from was a life worthy to sacrifice and give all to. That's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15. If you don't know this verse, it's a great verse for you to memorize. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. He died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, Philippians 2, 3 and 4, but rather live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And that's really what the sacrifice of Christ calls us to do. Jesus gave his all for us. What else can we do but give our all for him? And surely Epaphroditus knew well what the Lord had done for him. From best we can tell, he was a pagan man. He's got a pagan name. He also came from a town that didn't even have a synagogue. That's why Paul, when he went there in Acts 16, you can read about it. He, they went to a place of prayer down by the river because there wasn't a, a synagogue. There weren't, weren't even enough Jews to have a, a synagogue or a place there. And there's just women. So pro- predominantly an unbelieving city. And um, Epaphroditus heard about Jesus and heard about the life he lived and the death he died and heard from the Scriptures about how you interpret that. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Heard about how He was buried and heard about how He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And Epaphroditus believed. He believed that Gospel. That Jesus gave His all for Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus here for the work of Christ was even willing to risk His life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Right? To, to give that money to help Paul in whatever way that he could. And, and I believe if you, if you tie all this back together, you say, what is it that makes Epaphroditus such a great man? 
not because it was great in of itself. It's because he believed in Christ. Christ had taken hold of his life, and now his life was not dear to himself anymore. He just wanted to finish his course, run the race, finish it, what God had given him to do. That, that's what accounts for his character, verse 25. That's what accounts for his great risk of life. And I'll just say this to you. Are you ready to risk your life for the work of Christ? Are you ready to risk your life? Now, here it's hard to risk your life. Are you doing anything close? Are you doing anything here that would risk your life in, say, a foreign country? If you want to do a great work for Christ, I say it all starts with believing and trusting in the gospel. Resting and trusting in the work of Christ upon the cross.